We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Talk a little golf now with my man Brian Koziel, who is the host of Tea to Green, which uh, they did at Bobolinks this morning. And uh, Brian, I will tell you, as a pretty big Bobolinks fan, I usually get out once or twice a year there. Um, I... For a par three course, Western New York is pretty uh, like that. That's a pretty sweet setup over there at Bobolinks. Not a lot of other g- cities like the size of Buffalo can get kind of a great family area and a, and a family atmosphere. But also, like it's a nice little it's a nice little track. I agree. Good morning, Nate. I uh, we had fun being there this morning. Every time we go, Kevin and I, this Kevin Sylvester and I, this morning on air, we're just like, you know what? This is like one of those just cool, unique things about Western New York that make it special to be able to go over there, not only to play a nice par three course, but of course the kind of the, the lure of the place that you can go play at night. There's nowhere else that you can play outside under the lights at night. And uh, I'm sure many listening maybe have done that at some point, but um, I mean, w- what if just a cool spot, if you're learning the game, if you're playing for the first time, if you want to take your kid uh, or Nate, as I know you have done, you go with a group of buddies at night. Oh, yeah. Boy, that, it can turn into some real fun real fast. So, yeah, it was really fun being there this morning for Tita Green. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the Memorial Tournament happening uh, today. Round three coverage getting underway. Obviously, the rain delay um, on Friday forced some of the guys this morning to get out. Colin Morikawa uh, goes into the rain delay with the lead, Brian. And then John Rahm just goes on a run this morning to finish off his round two aces, uh, gets himself into a two-stroke lead. Um, The top of this leaderboard is filled with a lot of young, um, up-and-coming players, um, uh, uh, Scotty Scheffler, Xander Shifley. Uh, Colin Morikawa, Max Homa, but John Rahm is sort of maybe the 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 elite tier of this sort of younger group. Um, thoughts on his chances if he's going to play like he did at sort sort of the end of round two here? He seems maybe like the runaway favorite here. I like his chances. Uh, I I mean, yeah, you mentioned a hole in one on the 16th hole coming in, then he follows it up with a birdie, so he goes in now with a two shot lead on another young guy, Patrick Cantley. But yeah, Rahm. If you probably said to me, like, tell me the elite golfers or, or the, quote, current best players that haven't won a major, I think I'm starting with John Rahm. And the reason that I think you have to like his chances is, well, he's the defending champion. He won there last year. So he obviously knows how to win in the course. Now, they've done some renovations since, so it's not totally exactly the same. But, I mean, he obviously feels comfortable playing here. You mentioned Morikawa. Last year, when COVID stopped all sports and then golf was kind of, I think, you know, I guess you'd say the first kind of major sport to come back. Uh, They actually played two events here back-to-back at Muirfield Village at Jack Nicholas's course where he hosts. And Morikawa won the first week, and then Rahm, the traditional memorial event, the second week of the two, won that last year. So he's officially a defending champion, but no surprise to see Morikawa, who is a PGA champion, a major champion, and then Rahm. But uh, Rahm's swing... To me, it's so compact. It's a swing that if you're a guy that maybe thinks like, oh, I'm a little older or I can't bring the club all the way back. He gives you a little bit of hope. (laughs) He gives you hope. Like, look, 
John Rahm swings very compact. He it, comparably to others that hit it a mile on tour, he barely brings the club back, and he doesn't even have that huge sweeping follow through like hold the pose like all the way back. It's it's very compact. It's it's a simple swing, but it's super effective, and uh, he obviously. Uh, is playing so well this weekend. So, yeah, I think to answer your question, I think he's definitely the favorite here going into the weekend with a two-shot lead. So, Brian, um, I don't know if you saw, I think it was uh, Golf Digest, uh, and it was on Instagram. They sort of went through each hole um, with Jack Nose and, and talked a little bit about the changes that this course has made since the last time this tournament was played. And, you know, I, I think that... All, all in all, the course is definitely playing slightly more difficult, but is there any any changes to the course that maybe are notable to you? I know they changed a lot of the sizing of the greens, some of where the tee boxes um, are starting, so maybe you get a clearer shot um, at the green, but then they, I know on a couple of holes, they sort of made the green skinnier and longer, um, so they give you more space to miss, but... Good luck if you've got you know a thirty or forty foot putt um, trying to save par. So they, some of the changes on this course have certainly made it, I think, maybe even a step up from what it's been playing in years past. Yeah, and, and I think what what you'll see with these changes, especially around the green, is the pros showing you why they're the best in the world because there's more opportunity for creativity. I think for a long time, and you know whether you want to credit or or say shame on the USGA for doing this. The U.S. Open setup was a, a lot of the like, okay, if you miss it by one inch, the ball is going to roll all the way back down. Or if you're one foot long, you're going to end up in 10 feet of rough. That's all around the green. Now you're seeing a lot of different kind of areas around greens. And I think you're also seeing it a trend with local courses, too, here in western New York, where it's not just, okay, here's a green, and we're going to surround it with a whole bunch of heavy rough. You're seeing different styling in terms of the contour of the green, some maybe some, some mown areas either to the sides or in the front where you can maybe, hey, I could putt from here. I can do a bump and run from here. I could like even hit like a hybrid from here, you know, kind of that little bump sh- putt sort of shot. And the fact that the greens, as you said, are a different challenge now with the way that they've redone some of them, uh, I think it, it allows these guys to be a little bit more creative. The tee box thing you mentioned, more risk-reward, I think for those that have played a local course, uh, a course like Glen Oak, they've cleared out some trees. Why would they do that? Mm. Well, there's some aesthetic reasons to do that um, for your eyes, but the whole point of that course design was for you to see the hazard and then make a decision and then obviously try to make the shot. So, you know, if you're seeing that trend at a course around western New York, yes, taking down trees sometimes helps the health of the grass or helps the green if it's close or else gets more wind or more sun, which allows everything to maybe dry out quicker, things like that. So, but for you to see the hazard, for you to be able to, to make that decision, uh, the, that risk-reward sort of piece into it, I think makes golf a little bit more fun that way for everybody playing it. So I, I think that's probably what also Jack Nicholas and his team was figuring out with, how can we make this course that's already amazing even better and kind of bring back some more creative ways of having guys hit golf shots? So listen, Brian, I would be the dumbest dude in America not to at least ask you about this whole Brooks and Bryson. I don't calling it a feud, I think, is is maybe a disservice to what it actually is. It feels I don't know. It feels awesome for the game of golf. Um, I mean, people that are drawn to the sport for the game itself 
you know, there are traditionalists that'll say, like, this isn't really anything to me. This isn't really winning me over. This isn't entertainment. But there are a lot of young people that this sport, maybe in years past, hasn't really reached that handout to, right? And and, and trying to grow this sport um, and, and, and create the popularity around the young players that exist in this game, because there are tons of them. I mean, I mentioned in the top five alone, there are guys that are, you know, that don't have majors that are sort of sitting on the precipice, that are ranked in the top five in the world, that are players that are becoming household names. And then you sort of have this thing that I think is bringing young fans to the sport in a way that maybe this sport hasn't been able to reach them in the past. And I know, you know, maybe it seems a little silly or a little childish and we're seeing, you know, reports about, you know, fans getting thrown out of the tournament for calling Bryson Brooksy on the course, whatever. I, I find it incredibly entertaining as a fan of both players. Um, I think it's super fun. I, I just it's something unique to the game of golf that we haven't quite seen since like what Sergio and Tiger or yeah. you know Tiger and Phil for a little while were this way. It was kind of a fun, playful back and forth. This feels still fairly playful. Um, I wonder if it gets into something a little bit more serious. But even if it doesn't, and if this is all we get, I feel like it's it's entertaining and it's bringing a new kind of fan to the game. For sure, yeah, and you know trying to create that rivalry for Tiger was what the golf world and us in the media tried to do forever. And, you know, we look back at it and say, it really wasn't fair to anybody to say, oh, this is the guy to go up against Tiger. Like, Phil might have been it. Phil definitely had the charisma to do it and the popularity and, you know, all the, the swagger that would go with it. In fact, probably right now, even though they're both past their peak, and I know Mickelson just won a major, but the Phil Tiger dynamic now is probably the best it's ever been in their career. And it's because it, there is a lot of playfulness and Mickelson talking smack and Tiger shaking his head at Mickelson talking, you know, so I, hitting bombs, all that sort of stuff's fun. But these two guys that you're mentioning here, Brooks, Kepka, and Bryson DeChambeau, they are definitely personalities. Kepka is not afraid to say anything. He's very blunt about what he thinks. Sometimes he says controversial stuff. Sometimes he, he says stuff that a normal PGA Tour player wouldn't normally say, but he just says it. He's all about the majors. If he's injured, he doesn't care. If it's a major, I'm there. He's, you know, he's got arms the size of a truck. And now you've got Shambo, who comes in with this very, very unique approach and comes in with you know, the scientific method, the mad scientist. All my clubs are the same length. I'm going to try and be a, essentially a robot and just mimic my swing over and over and over again. Then DeShambo says, you know what? I'm going to get jacked up too because I know I can hit it farther than anybody this way, and I'm going to create more club speed head than everybody. So DeShambo, to me, I still think has been the most interesting story of the year, but now Kepka coming through here, the two of them chirping back and forth online, the Golf Channel interview that was leaked, all that sort of stuff. Here's one thing that I thought Kevin Sylvester brought up this morning in on our show. Remember, the PGA Tour announced about a month ago that they're now putting in a $40 million, what they call a player impact fund, that rewards essentially your brand, like your popularity. It, to reward players, somebody like Ricky Fowler, let's say, who brings so much money and attention to the tour, yeah. but he's not winning as much as maybe he'd like. Now, Fowler actually is playing better as of late. He is, yeah. He, he's, he said he corrected his vision. He's got glasses. He's seeing better. So that's... That's a little side quick note that Fowler's playing better. So good for him, and everybody wants him to win. But Kepka, his online presence, that video, DeShambo, just his approach to the game, like these guys have that brand. 
And who knows? Kevin was like, maybe these two guys realize that this is good for their what would be you know labeled in the PGA Tour is their player impact fund. Mm. <laughs> so you know because there's going to be rewards given out for that. You know, so who knows if that's a little piece of it? If they know, hey, look, I could cash in on this a little more. But uh, these two guys, I mean, just there's every every week there's something chirped back and forth. The USGA, if you're listening, I know you won't do it, but when you make the U.S. Open pairings, please, if you put Kepka and DeChambeau together, you might get Tiger-like ratings if you do that, if not more. So you can. Put them together for the U.S. Open. It's going to be in San Diego, Torrey Pines, prime time. Like, if somehow they ended up in the same group together, oh, that would be amazing. I doubt it'll happen because it seems just too good of a story to be true if they ended up being paired together at the U.S. Open in two weeks. Yeah, I agree. It, it is, it's low-lying fruit for the USGA, for God's sakes. I mean, you know, it, it's a story that tells itself. Like, just just help the fans out here. I agree. And, and, and throw in a third. Someone like... You know, get Phil's got the exemption. Get Phil in there. You know, like get yeah. make it fun uh, and have Phil be the awkward mediator between the two. You know, and ha- have him taking Twitter shots after the oh, round. Like, come on, for sure. oh, for sure he will. <laughs> that, like, that's 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 the great thing about Phil. Last thing, I, I did want to just touch on the U.S. Women's Open with you, Brian, um, out at the Olympic Club. Listen, I mean, I had an opportunity on Thursday night to kind of watch the end of round one. Um, the course looks unbelievable. Frankly, I'm surprised to see some of these women go so low. And there's there's also several young American women at the top of this. Uh, Megan Kang and uh, and Lexi Thompson are in, are both within the top five. But to see a minus six be at the leader right now, I, I, I find pretty interesting considering how hard and how long the rough is playing. Like some of the shots I've, I saw on Thursday night were, were downright incredible considering how tough that course can really play. Yeah, if you're looking, we, we mentioned primetime golf with the U.S. Open on the West Coast. Now, this is also primetime golf if you're looking for something to watch this weekend. The U.S. Women's Open's great. Uh, the story of day one and maybe the, the weekend is a 17-year-old yeah. amateur, uh, Megna Ghani, who was the leader after round one. She shot a 67. She's only two off the lead. She's in a tie for third. But how about this? I saw a tweet from somebody took a screenshot. Magna actually posted her round. She's an amateur, 17 years old. She posted her rounds, the first two rounds at Olympic Club here in the U.S. Open, on the Gin app that you and I also would do after our rounds. And it was funny. That's they amazing. They a screenshot of, like, her last 10 rounds. You can, you can actually go look it up right now. You know, like, that's if you're amazing. on that app, you and I can look up each other's scores. You know, you can go, like, the last 10 rounds. Yep. You know, you so you can see all the places she's played all over the country oh or whatever. Gosh. And then it says, you know, 67, Olympic Club, 70, Olympic Club, like her last two rounds. I'm like, hey, she's posting those there, too. That's Just unreal. like you and I would do. That's pretty cool. But that is super year old cool. amateur at the top, that's. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, a lot of young, uh, a lot of young women, uh, kind of on the rise in the in the ladies' tour, and it should make uh, it should make for a couple of fun uh, majors for the remainder of the year. Brian, thanks so much for jumping on with me, man. Appreciate it as always. Enjoy your weekend and uh, good luck out there on the golf course. Are you, are you getting out today? Thirty mile per hour winds. It's going to be an interesting one today. Yes, I'm actually taking to my son a, a tournament in Rochester to play at Wildwood. Ooh, uh, nice. Today. So hopefully tomorrow will be my day. But I know you and I played last week. We're going to have to get together yes. soon for another, another fun round. Indeed, my friend. Very soon. Good to talk to you. Okay, Nate. Thanks. Awesome. Brian Kozio there on the West Her Hotline. Take a time out. On the other side, Mike K of NJ.com. Coming up next, talk a little Zach Ertz here on WGR.
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.